tell you a story that I heard recently, just before uh, I come to preach today. I heard a story of uh, an elderly gentleman. Any elderly gentleman here? If you are, they're all young. Okay, welcome to teen church, you know. (laughs) Elderly gentleman, uh, what, maybe over 60, right? And he uh, wanted to have a McDonald's lunch. So he drove his car to McDonald's drive-thru. How many people have ever been through a McDonald's drive-thru? You know, it's, it's complicated, right? <laughs> so first of all, you have to go and then you pull up next to this box and it says, good morning. And, uh, and then you have to tell the, the box what you want. And there's a sign next to it with all the different things you can get. So this... Uh, man, he pulled up and he was taking his time trying to order his lunch. And as he was doing that, the cars were banking up behind, right? They were getting many of them behind. And, and then he finally was about to finish the order and the guy behind him started, toot, toot, toot. You know, they do that here. Toot, toot, toot. <laughs> I don't know who does it, but I live near Morocco and they do it all night. Anyway, toot, toot, toot. And the guy behind was getting frustrated and it made the, the elderly gentleman more agitated. And finally, he was able to give his order and the lady said, okay, please make your way to the next window um, where you can pay. And so he drove his car to the next window and Uh, He was making the payment, and again, he was taking his time. He wasn't as fast as the young people. And uh, and the car come up behind, and the car, the guy was really angry. He was tooting, 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 and uh, the the horn. And so the elderly gentleman said to the, the lady, I would like to pay for the man behind me for his meal also. So she said, okay, so she did a second receipt. And she gave him and he paid for him as well. And then he had to move on to where you pick up your food, right? And so he he moved on and then then this guy behind moved up to where he had to pay. And the girl said, "The, the man, he paid for you. And he felt so bad, right? Because he'd been angry with him. And so this guy behind, he got his wave, oh, thank you, thank you. And the other guy, you know, he waved back and then... The guy in front, the elderly gentleman, he handed his receipt and got his food. And then he handed the other receipt and said, I'll have this one too. And he took this one and then he drove off. And the guy behind had to go all the way around and line up again behind all the cars. The moral of the story is, don't mess with older people. Right? We've been around a long time. Amen? Amen. Bless God. Well, today I want to preach. My name's Chris, by the way, if we haven't met. My title today of my sermon is Loosing the Chains of Injustice. Loosing the Chains of Injustice. You know, we live in a world that is filled with injustice. There are many people here and you have been a recipient 
of injustice. There are other people here and you have helped people who have been caught in injustice. Things that have happened to them, not because of their own doing. They were just caught in this web of injustice, chained by injustice. And today, I want to speak to those two groups of people because I believe that God has uh, got a word for you. God's going to do something in people's lives today and break those chains that have bound you and held you captive in your heart and in your mind because of things that injustices that have happened in your life. I want to read from Luke chapter 10 and verse uh, 25. In this uh, portion of Scripture, a, uh, or, or at this time, a man came to Jesus and he wanted to test Jesus. This was a religious man. He wanted to show how important he was to Jesus. And it says in verse 25, Luke 10, and it should be on the board, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he, uh, he was kind of arrogant, this guy, right? Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And the man answered, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. And so one would think that that's the end of the discussion. But then this religious man said, but uh, in verse 29, he said, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? And then Jesus began to share the story that we all know very well of the Good Samaritan. Let me read it to you. It flows on in the next verse, uh, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest. What is a priest? A religious man. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he, he saw the man was beat up, bleeding, half dead on the side of the road. When the priest saw the man, he passed by on the other side of the road. So he was this priest coming down and he saw the man and he passed on the other side of the road. How many religious people here today? None, obviously. Anyway, he goes on in verse 32. So to a Levite, who actually also is a religious man. Any Levites here? No, okay. When he came to the place, he saw him pass by on the other side. He did exactly the same as the first religious man. The two religious men, the ones you would think would have compassion, the ones you would think after seeing, they would 
get involved and help the man. How often do we see things and walk on the other side of the road? How often do we justify walking on the other side of the road because we think it's not my job to do that or someone else will do it? It's not my problem. Well, I'm problem, but it's our kin, right? So we, we cover our eyes and we walk on the other side of the road and we allow injustice to fester. But then it goes on in verse 33 and it says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was and when he saw him, now the other two, they saw him, right? But he was a Samaritan, a man that the Jews did not mix with. They were like dogs to the, to the Jews. This man saw like the other two and he took pity on him. Something crushed his heart. And the Bible says in 34, he went to him. He bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Then Jesus said, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Let me ask you a question. Are you a neighbour? Are you a neighbour to those who have experienced injustice in their life? You know, this sermon might not be a comfortable sermon. You know, sometimes I love to preach funny sermons, you know, that people, you know, enjoy. They go, oh, that was the best comedy show I've ever heard, you know. <laughs> this will be a sermon, I hope, that will really touch your heart and make you feel uncomfortable. A sermon that will make you stop and think, I've got to do something about that. You know, when we get angry about something, often that's God calling us to do something about it, right? When we get angry with injustice, then God is saying, well, maybe you shouldn't be the priest or the Levite. Maybe it's time for you to become a Samaritan and to reach out, not only see, but to do something about it, to pay the cost the Samaritan had to pay to look after him. You see, when we begin to reach out and touch those who have been touched by injustice in their life, to reach out to them, to help them, it will cost us something. We can't, you know, the only way that it doesn't cost us something is if we do what, what the priest and the Levite did, walk on the other side of the road. So God doesn't want us to walk on the other side of the road. But what if I try to fix him and help him and he dies? I wasted my time. You know, my wife and I, we keep some coins in the car, right? 
for when there are beggars that come to the, the lights or people selling, you know, poor people selling things. And I know, like you know, many of them work for syndicates, especially the children. You know, they, they get the money and they have to, have to hand it over. And uh, we think, why, why give them money? It, it, it only goes to someone else. But you know what? The Bible says, give to the poor. And it's, all we have to do is give and let God take care of the rest. Sometimes we justify not giving to the poor because they won't use the money properly. We justify helping um, those who are in need because we think that, well, they won't have the ability to um, do the right thing with what you give them. And so you become the judge and you say, no, no, I won't do anything. It's like people that say, you know, I'd like to give my tithe to the church, but I don't trust them. I don't think, you know, uh, they can do the right thing with it. And so what do we do? We judge instead of doing what God says is the right thing to do. Amen? And so here is this Samaritan who became the neighbor. He was the one that helped in that injustice. Some years ago, back in the middle of the 1990s, anybody born then? How many were born in 1995? Yeah, a few of you. I worked, I worked, we'd been missionaries in the Philippines and then we went back to Australia and I worked in the head office or the headquarters of our, our denomination, the Assemblies of God, in their missions department as a missions executive. And my office was right at the front and I had a big window. The whole wall was a window in my office and I could look out onto um, the footpath and the road across from my office was a, was a major train station. I called uh, Mitcham Station. And there were lots of um, drug you know, things happening there uh, where people were handing drugs out to people and, and so forth. The police were often there because of that. Anyway, I was working away, you know, on my computer and I looked out and I saw this guy, he was maybe 20, 22 years of age, and he had this little kid, maybe 13 years of age, and he was hitting him and hitting him and hitting him, pushing him down and picking him up. And I looked at him and I thought... You know, there are a lot of gangs. There are a lot of bad people in that particular part of the city. And I thought, you know, maybe the kid, you know, is involved in the drugs and all of this and that, and um, maybe, maybe it's not my um, job to, to try. Someone else will, will go and help. And I sat there, and the Holy Spirit came on me like a push. Get up and do something. And I stood up and I ran out of my office. I was dressed in a suit. And as I ran out of the office, my friend was in the next office. His name is Chris also. He worked at the mission with me. I said, Chris, come. There's a boy being beaten up. Let's go and save him. And he said, what? I said, just come. And so, so we ran out and we ran across the road. And I came up to this guy. Hey, what are you doing? He said, who do you think you are? I said, I'm Chris. And I work in that building there. 
You let that boy go or the police are going to come and get you. And he pushed the little kid down and the kid got up and ran away. And the guy said, you can't come. And, you know, he was really, really tough, you know. And so I, you know. (laughs) And he ran away. No, 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 he didn't. But he he was quite abusive to me and said, "Uh, you better watch out. I'm going to say, well, you better watch out, you know. Who do you think you're talking to? Who do you think you're talking to? So just remember, my name's Chris, and I work in that building, and I'll be keeping an eye on you. And as we walked back, my friend Chris was with me. He said, Chris, you know, you travel a lot. You're often not in the office. He said, if... If the gangs come looking for a Chris in that building, who will they get? I said, cowboy up, Chris. You'll be right. (laughs) But isn't it true? Sometimes an injustice happens and we just got to do something about it. It, It's easy to just, it's somebody else's job. Let's just leave it for them to do it. I don't have to do it. You know, there are people here today, and I believe that God is going to begin to speak to you as you not only just see situations, but God will touch your heart and speak to you about helping in certain situations. Even though you will say, and some of you will say this, and I want you to remember my sermon when you say this to yourself, I don't think I can do that. You know, we can't do a lot of things, but with God's help, we can do all things. Amen? And so we just need to make ourselves available to hear from God and be willing to act, even though it might cost us personally. The Good Samaritan, it cost him his time. That's one thing we always say, I don't have the time. I don't have the time. It cost him his money. I don't have the money. Right? And so, but if God speaks to you, God will provide everything you need. And God will help you to become a neighbor to those who need a neighbor. God will help you, even though it will cost you personally. This is embracing what I've called here our social responsibility. And we all have a social responsibility. You know that businesses in the Philippines have a thing called social responsibility where part of their profit they give to charities. Not only that, we should not just leave it to the businesses. As individuals, we have a social responsibility. This week I was watching a documentary on Singapore and uh, uh, Lee Kuan Yew, who bought Singapore from a, a place that had no hardly any economy. It was basically a swamp, and he raised it up to be a first world nation. I heard him uh, speak as a young man to all the people. He said, you know, we have to work together we have to realise we have a social responsibility to work hard and not complain. We have a social responsibility to work for the next generation, even though we might not 
get the benefit of it in our generation, your children will, your grandchildren will, and a hundred years from now, this place will be a nation that will change the world. And you know what? It's happened. You look at Singapore today. You look at Singapore after the Second World War. Why? Because everybody realized the importance of their social responsibility. Do you know the, the Good Samaritan knew that he had a social responsibility to care for that man that was neglected by others who refused their social responsibility for whatever reason? We have a social responsibility. You see, our world is filled with injustice. What can we do? What should we do? What we should do is help loose the chains of injustice. And that's my first point today. What is loosing the chains of injustice? It says in Isaiah 58, what, well, actually what loosing the chains of injustice is, is personally sacrificing to help those who cannot help themselves. Personally helping those who are chained by injustice. You know, there are a lot of people that have chains, that are chained by injustice, and God wants us to loosen the chains. God wants us to loosen the chains of injustice. Isaiah 58, uh, we read that the people there complained to God that he hadn't responded to their prayers and their fasting. They complained, said, God, why haven't you answered our prayers? We've been fasting, we've been doing the right things. And then God answered them and God said that they were insincere in their sacrifice. They were insincere in their sacrifice. Uh, then God told them what their sacrifice should involve. And here it is in Isaiah uh, 58, verse 6 and 7. It says, Is not this kind of fasting or sacrifice I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice? To loose the chains of injustice. That's what God had called them to do. And to untie the cords of yoke, of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. You see, those who have been um, uh, caught up and chained by injustice are yoked to that injustice. You know what a yoke is? When you have two animals, they have a bit of timber together that yoke them and hold them together. God wants us to loosen the chains and break the yoke so that the yoke no longer has a hold on them and holds them to their injustice. Then he goes on in verse 7 and says this, Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see, here's that word again, see. When you see the naked, to clothe him and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. So what must we do? 
if we want to loosen the chains of injustice, we must untie the cords, loosen the chains. It doesn't say break the chains. It says loosen the chains so that, that, so that those who are chained can, can, can work. It means that it requires work from them and it requires work from us. Because if we just cut the chains, then they may just decide to stay because they didn't have to do anything about it. But if we loosen the chain, then they are able to, to work together with us to help them to be able to be set free from the injustice that may bind them. It says that we have to set the oppressed free. We live in a nation. In fact, we live in a world that is filled with injustice. We have to break every yoke, every yoke of injustice. So my second point is this. Why should we get involved? Turn to the one next to you and say, why should I get involved? Yeah, why should I get involved? Good question. Let me tell you the answer, right? Because the world is filled with injustice and it's just waiting for you to be part of the solution. Amen? It's filled with injustice and it's waiting for you to be part of the solution. Psalm 82 and verse 3 and 4 said, Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hands of the wicked. You know, this week when I was preparing this message, I was researching on, on the injustices in the world. And as I was researching on the internet, looking at the latest stats on different things, you know, my heart was crushed. And, and it really quite surprised me because, you know, I'm really not a very emotional guy. I'm a pretty stoic sort of a person. However, as I, I begin to read the stats and think of what that meant, I actually begin to weep. And, and, and like right from deep within, and uh, it really touched my heart. Do you know that, just looking at some examples of what's happening in the world today when it comes to injustice, do you know that um, there were 70 million abortions worldwide last year? And, you know, many of them were full-term abortions. Isn't that hard to imagine that, people would approve that, even governments would approve that. It's, it's, like, uh, it's like killing 60% of the Philippine population last year and justifying it. How tragic is that? That's 8,000 lives per hour, innocent lives that never get the opportunity to see the light of day taken out. That's injustice to the unborn. And maybe some of you have a heart to help in that area, to help people. And, and I feel for, for those uh, ladies who have been caught in this, and, it's, and it, even when they didn't want to be involved, it, it's happened through circumstances. It's very, very sad. But this is going on throughout the world every day, every hour. This is happening worldwide. Uh, uh, and poverty, 
The United Nations, you look up the United Nations and you type in poverty and it'll tell you there that each year more than 9 million people around the world die because they're too poor to stay alive. Have you thought about that? How poor do you have to be to not stay alive? Well, there are 9 million of them last year were in that situation and they died because they were too poor to stay alive. Over 1 billion people, that's one in seven people around the world, live in extreme poverty. And that is defined by living on less than a dollar a day or around 50 pesos a day. That's more than 800 million people go to bed each night hungry. And, And when I read that, that really crushed me. 800 million people, many of them children, around the world tonight will go to bed hungry. And often we don't even think about that. I want God to help us to never forget it. I want God to help us to figure out how we can help. Now, you know, we won't be able to help or you won't be able to help solve the problem of 800 million, but you might be able to help solve a couple of them, and help them. We need to begin to ask God, God, what can I do as part of my social responsibility to be able to help people who are caught in in this injustice? You know that um, 78 million boys and girls around the world don't go to school at all. 78 million boys and girls. How tragic, how tragic. You know, uh, as a church, we uh, have a, um, an NGO that we've registered called Favour Care, and we are seeking to help in these areas that I've talked about. We won't be able to solve all the problems, but we will be able to solve some of the problems, and we won't be able to solve the problems by ourselves. We need the church to pull together and we need to realise our social responsibility as a church is not just to come into a beautiful air-conditioned room like this uh, and enjoy the air conditioning that works some of the time and the beautiful music and the lights and the carpets and all that. We need to realise that we're blessed, sure, but we need to not just keep the blessing in the walls. We need to go beyond the walls. Do you know that 120 million girls under 20 years of age in the last year were forced to engage in sex or perform sexual acts around the world. And the world child trafficking industry is growing year by year. We need to do something about that. We have people here in the church that run organisations that help uh, in that area and they do an unbelievable job. You won't always hear about them, but it's happening. And God is um, helping people solve or or work towards solving some of the problems in these areas. But we need to be involved as well. You might not be able to run a home to help uh, young girls in that situation, but you may be able to to give in the legacy offering where every year we, we give to organisations like this from the, uh, from the legacy offering to help. You see, there's always something that we can do 
even if we don't really know what to do, ask. Ask somebody and they will help, help you. You see, there's an old saying that says, bad things happen because good people do nothing. Wow. Right? Bad things happen because good people do nothing. I'm sure the priest and the Levite were good people. But what did they do? Nothing. So here was this man on the side of the road bleeding to death. And they did nothing. They saw, they walked on the other side of the road and they did nothing. So how do we loose the chains of injustice? It says in Isaiah 58, 7, uh, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide um, for the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, clothe him and turn not away from your own flesh and blood. So what, what are we to do? We're to give food, to give shelter to the poor, clothe the naked and don't turn away. In other words, what it's saying is be like the good Samaritan. Don't pass by. You know what? There'll be lots of opportunity to pass by. Even today, maybe, when you leave this beautiful, air-conditioned, carpeted um, room, uh, this ballroom, uh, you, you will be confronted and you'll have perhaps the opportunity to help in some small way. But if we all do something in a small way, it becomes a bigger way, right? As we, it, it all builds up. In, uh, in a couple of weeks' time, I'm going to go to Leyte where I'm going to be speaking at the 10th year anniversary of Typhoon Yolanda. Do you remember Typhoon Yolanda? That devastated, the, the biggest typhoon that ever hit land in the history of the world. Um, uh, I was pastoring in Australia and we have a missionary that uh, has a, a, a place down there that helps children. And, uh, and I was able through some miracle to make contact with her just after the typhoon. And uh, she said, you know, our whole, she has like a village. It's completely flattened, decimated. I, I don't know what to do. And this girl, her name's Margaret, was on our team when we were uh, her leaders uh, back in the 80s. And, uh, and we'd always supported her and the work that she had done from our church. And she said, I don't know what to do. I said, um, I'll come. So one of my friends, a pastor friend, we, we went up. And, uh, and we saw the absolute devastation. This place where she had uh, um, developed over a number of years was completely flattened. And uh, we were able to help. We, we helped rebuild the place. We raised hundreds of thousands of dollars and got builders from Australia to come and rebuild the whole uh, complex for her. But, you know, when Margaret came to the Philippines, she came as a Bible college lecturer. She uh, became a Bible college principal and she did church planting. That was her, her responsibility. There were lots of other things that happened there that was a lot of injustice, but that wasn't her job. Her job was to plant churches and to lecture in Bible college. And one day she went to the post office in Tuckloban and she pulled up at the post office and she got out and she went in and she came out and all these little kids were around her, street kids, were around her car with plastic bags, sniffing glue and, uh, and just sort of hanging over her car and all this. And, and uh, she got really 
angry, indignant. And there was a police station there. And she went into the police station and she said, someone should do something about all those kids there. Look at them, sniffing glue. And you're just here, you're the policeman, and you're letting them sniff glue, these street kids. You should do something about it. And you know what happened? The policeman said to her, why don't you do something about it, Mom? And when he said that, it was like the voice of God. You know, sometimes you hear the policeman pull over. It's like the voice of the devil. But this was like the voice of God, right? And it hit her. And she sort of walked out dazed. And she thought, what could I do? So she changed her ministry. She rented a house. She started to gather some of these kids to take them off the street and to take them away from the addiction, to save some of the little girls from prostitution. And she started, she started a house. She rescued them from drugs and prostitution. She fed them. She clothed them. She provided a home for them and paid for them to go to school. She actually changed their lives forever. And Margaret built and funded and runs the Centre for Change in uh, a place called Borawan in uh, Leyte, which is kind of almost in the middle of, of the island of Leyte. And uh, today she has 70 to 100 children live or receive alternative home care. She has a four-acre property and has built 10 houses, 10 three-bedroom houses with house parents that she has, and these kids come and they stay uh, in these homes. Um, she has a school. She schools them. She has teachers. She has social workers. And uh, she's built, after the typhoon, uh, you know, we, we fixed all the property up. It was completely destroyed. I said, you know what, we really need a place, because many of them nearly died, and, and over 6,000 people died in the area and uh, they were huddled in one corner and, and uh, the buildings were flying everywhere, but none of them died. And I said to her, Margaret, you know what we need is to have a, a, a refuge centre so that the whole um, area, they can come in the midst of a big storm like this. It needs to be built to, to withstand cat Category 5. And so you know what? She built it. It's like a big sports arena, much bigger than this room. And, uh, and it's built with, with uh, beams, this thick, and, and Category 5. And uh, they hold uh, competitions uh, for the whole area in there, playing basketball and church services and conferences and, um, and so forth. She has over 30 staff. And she did all of this in 20 years. She had nothing 20 years ago except a complaint about these kids. And today she's helping all these kids. You know, some of the kids that came into the program when they were just little, tiny little kids, and we visited them many times over the years. Um, they, they went through the schooling. She paid for them to go to university. And they came back from university uh, as social workers. And they worked for her, helping others like her. How powerful is that? Imagine 
if you saw a need and did something about it, what you could do in 20 years. It won't happen in a day, but you can do it. It might take 20 years. Imagine if you live beyond yourself. It says in Philippians chapter four and verse, uh, chapter two and verse four, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Don't just look at the mirror in the morning and say, I'm so good, you know. But look beyond yourself to others who are around you. In uh, the Message Bible, the same verse says, forget about yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. And you know what? Jesus demonstrated this, and we, and we read it in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7. He said, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. We can make a difference. We must not leave it for someone else. Each and every individual in this room need to take your social, spiritual responsibility and ask God, what can I do to help those who are in need? How can I be part of something that helps people in need? You know, a couple of years ago, um, my wife and I had been pastoring the church in Australia, which is now Favour Church, for 20 years. And we saw God do great things and, and uh, good things happen. And so I was getting close to being 70 years of age. And we thought, well, what, what will we do? And all my friends, you know, my age were retiring, buying a, a, a place at the beach, playing golf every day, you know, and uh, enjoying retirement, going on cruises, you know, all the things that retirees do. And, uh, and God spoke to uh, my wife and I uh, that, that he still had some things for us to do. And so... I knew that that phase of my life or our life was ending, that that season in our life was ending and God was going to do another season. So God spoke to me about writing a vision for the next 20 years. And so this is what I wrote. Um, I want to help the poor, educate the underprivileged. This is in the next 20 years, all right? Uh, Create jobs for the poor, build schools, provide vacational training, for underprivileged, build medical centres and hospitals, give hope to prisoners and their families, provide emergency relief and development in times of need, provide homes for the homeless, feed the hungry, clothe the poor, build places of refuge for the vulnerable, plant churches and raise millions of dollars to accomplish the vision. Is that a good uh, vision for 20 years? Yeah. You know, the, good, the, the incredible thing about that is I am not capable of doing that. But God is capable and God is able to put me in a situation, which he has, uh, in a great church like Faber Church where together we can easily see that accomplished in the next 20 years. Do you believe that's possible? I believe that's more than possible. Do you know... I believe God wants us to see the needs and do something about it. Amen? Amen. Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 4 says, Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks to the clouds will not reap. There will never, ever be a perfect time to start. 
Don't say, oh, it's a bit cloudy. We can't do it. Maybe tomorrow. Books are done. Sususunud na lingo. You know, just, no, no. There'll never be a perfect time. Don't look to the circumstances. Don't look to the, the funding. Look to God and believe that God will do it. Do you believe that? Let's be willing to serve others. First Peter 4 and verse 10 says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in various forms. Let me finish. And I'll let this young gentleman here, who has stood so faithfully here, and you know, he's just, we're going to, I don't know how to loosen them. Anyway, he's, he's going to go, look, there's a loose bit. He's, how do I, oh yeah, well, I don't know who did it. Let's, let's loose him. Let's loose him. Be loose. Be loose. Be loose. Hey, you can go. And now he told him. Let me finish with a story. It was, it's a story of injustice. And it's a story of an incredible miracle that God did in the life of a man that was in our church uh, when we were missionaries here in the Philippines in the 1980s, the mid-1980s. The man's name was Johnny. And Johnny was an Afro-American. He was about 66 years of age at this time of the story that I'm talking about. He was a US Marine during the Second World War here in the Philippines. After the war, uh, he didn't go back to America. He stayed here because, you know, there were many Americans because this was an American colony, you know, in the first part of last century or the first half. And he stayed here and he worked as a bouncer in the clubs after the Second World War. And it was a very rough place, Manila. Uh, those that uh, were around at that time, you would be very old now if you were. But um, uh, it was a very, very rough. And the clubs were very, very rough. And the bouncers were even tougher. And so he worked there. Anyway, when he was in the, his mid-60s, he came to a meeting that we were running. We had a big tent and we were doing a crusade reaching out to people in Los Pinos, uh, where, where we planted a church. And, and he came and he stood at the back of the meeting and when the call came to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Saviour, he came down to the front and received Christ. He went home. He's a real tall man, big tough guy, big barrelly chest. And uh, he was broken and tears ran down his eye and he, he got saved. He went home. And uh, he brought his family, his wife and four children. Many years after the war, he married a girl who was much younger than him. They had four children. They lived in a little Nipah hut that was just three metres by three metres in a field at the back of one of the subdivisions in Los Pinos. It was a place where there was long grass uh, that you'd have to go through long grass to come to his little Nipah hut that was under a massive big uh, mango tree. And uh, he came to church and began serving church. One day he had a heart problem. He worked as a motor mechanic and he earned 1,000 pesos a month to provide for his children. Now you think, oh, gee, that's not much. But, you know, this is 1985, you know, a long time ago now. And so they were just able to survive on that. 
his wife did a little bit of sewing and, and that's how they survived. But he had a problem with his heart and he couldn't work anymore. And uh, we heard in the church and so I said to our team, let's, let's take a sack of rice and some food and let's get some clothing. I, I, we, even our kids, I think, we gave our kids gave their clothes and, and we took it around uh, and we gave him the sack of rice and he was so grateful. He said, oh, pastor... Actually, he called me Reverend, you know. Hey, Reverend, you know. And he said, uh, you know, thank you, thank you. I, I just, you know, feel so bad. I can't provide for my family. I said to him, I said, Johnny, you were in, in the U.S. military. Can't you get a pension? Because he's, you know, at that age. And he said, you know, Reverend, I tried. They won't give it to me. I said, why not? He said, I don't know. I tried more than once. And they said, no. I said, do you have any documentation to prove that you were actually, you know, in the military? He said, yeah. So he pulled out this little box in the corner of his little Nipa hut that was sort of built on stilts about this high. And he opened up and, and he showed me the paperwork that he had to prove. So I said, let me take it. I knew that we could keep giving them rice, but we needed to believe that God would provide, you know, in other ways. So I took it. I said, let me contact the embassy. So I took all the paperwork and I um, pled with the American embassy um, to, you know, reconsider his situation. I told them, you know, I was his pastor and he'd served your nation. If he was an Australian, we'd look after him, you know. And what's wrong with America? You don't have enough money, huh? So eventually I managed to convince them out of pure shame uh, to have another look at his situation. And so uh, the guy, they gave a case manager and I worked with this guy. And, uh, and a month later, I said to the team, you know, we need to take another sack of rice around. They would have probably used the rice uh, to, his, to his house. So one of the team went and they, they took the sack of rice around to the house. And uh, uh, what we didn't know was that that very day that that sack of rice was taken, the second sack of rice to the house, his wife put the bowl of rice on, on the little, it was a box, that was a table, and said to her husband, that's the last of the rice. That's the last bowl of rice we have. I don't know what we're going to feed the children when they come home. And so he said, you know, um, Reverend preached about believing God. When you have nothing, God will come through. And so... He told us a story. He put the spoon in the rice. And then one of our pastors came and called him, Johnny, Johnny. And he came out and there he was with a sack of rice. You know, he had one bowl of rice and all of a sudden he had one sack of rice. And, uh, and he experienced all this injustice with not being able to get his pension. And, you know, and he just knew God was looking after him. Two days later... I called up the American embassy <coughs> and I said, look, I'm following up on, you know, this situation. I haven't heard from you. If you were Australia, I would have heard. <laughs> but I haven't. And the guy said to me, <coughs> he said, oh, I've got good news for you. I said, what's that? He said, we looked at it and we have decided that we will give uh, a pension of 600 
US dollars a month, which was like 12,000 pesos. Remember, he was earning 1,000 pesos a month, right? So now he's got 12,000 pesos a month. I said, wow, that's exciting. I'll go and tell him straight away. He, he said, no, no, just, just before you go. He said, we really looked at it. We should have given him this before. So we've decided to back pay him. So they back paid him equivalent to 120,000 pesos. And he said, I said, wow, that's terrific. He said, if you come in now, we'll give you a check. Um, I said, well, I'll go get him and we'll come in, you know. So I jumped in my car and raced in first gear, you know. It's <laughs> Philippines, you know. And I, and I parked there and I got out of the car and I ran. I ran through the long grass and I come around to the big tree and then I yelled out, Johnny, Johnny, it's me. And he got, and he stepped down from, he's a big man, stepped down from his hut and he, he came, oh, past, uh, Reverend. And he grabbed me, you know, and he squeezed me really tight before I said anything to him. My face was being squashed against, <laughs> against the microphone he was wearing. <laughs> and his sweaty, hairy chest was against my face. He was squeezing me so tight because he was like a gorilla, you know. And, and I felt the, my bones beginning to break. He said, thank you, thank you, Reverend, for the sack of rice. He said, we only had one bowl of rice and you gave a sack of rice. I said, and here am I thinking, he's killing me for a sack of rice. I haven't told him about that, you know. Pension. So I said, don't worry about that, brother. I said, I contacted the embassy and they're going to give you your pension at 600 US dollars a month. Oh, he grabbed me again. He'd already broken three bones and so he evened it up on that side. And as I was slowly dying, I thought... I haven't told him about the back pay. <laughs> and so I, I, I pulled away, I said, now don't you come near me. <laughs> They're also gonna give you back pay of $6,000, 120,000 pesos. Oh, he said, and I ran away, I wouldn't <laughs> let him near me. I said, you know, we can go and get it now. He said, really? I said, yeah, get in the car. And he got his wife, you know, this was two weeks before Christmas. And we got in our little Corona and we, we raced to the embassy, the US embassy in first gear. And, you know, Philippines. And we, we got to the embassy and uh, the guy there said to me, he said, you know, I, I know this guy. He was really a rough guy. Everyone was afraid of him. And uh, Johnny was there, this big tough guy. He held the check you know, the 6,000, uh, 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 120,000 peso check. And he said, you know, he said, Pastor, he was crying. He said, I've never seen this much money in my life. He said, what do I do with this? He never had a bank account. So we helped him, you know, do a bank account and, 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 and he set it all up. And you know what? We were building a church. He came down to the church with 12,000 pesos and said, Pastor, 
Uh, he, he told our administrator, please tell Pastor Chris, I paid my tithe, you know? <laughs> and so uh, what was injustice was dealt with. God did an incredible thing. Anyway, a month later, I said to him, or two months later, I said, how's it going? Everything's coming good with the, with, from the embassy, the money and everything. He said, oh, Pastor, there's a problem. And him, I'm thinking, oh, no, they're going to take it away now. God, you, why, why, God? If only he was in the Australian military, he would have been right, you know. These Americans, you know. And I began to think all this. And then I said, what's the problem? He said, well, he said, you know, Pastor, he said, when they gave me the, this, they, they thought that I was single. And they didn't know I was married to a Filipina. I thought, well, why is that a problem? He said, well, it's not. He said, they were paying me a single man's pension, so now they doubled it. And they gave me another back pay of 120,000 pesos. Is God good? Is God good? Can God take those who are caught in injustice and do something good when we trust Him? Amen.